But now I want to invite uh, the Reverend Alex Shipman forward. Uh, Alex, come on up here. Uh, Alex is the senior pastor of the Village Church in Huntsville, Alabama, and he is the director of the African American Presbyterian Fellowship. Alex and his, his wife, Waikita, have two kids, Madison and Trayson. And uh, Alex, I'm going to pray for you now. Come on over here. I'm going to pray for you so you can bring the Word of God to us. Father, I give you thanks for Alex Shipman, for his voice, for his call, that you have called him to be a son, a son and an heir with Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you have made the word of God alive in him and that you've given him your spirit. And I pray now, Lord, that you would fill him. Give us ears to hear, Lord. Open our hearts and open our minds that your word might have power. Lord, I pray that we would not leave this place unchanged, but that by your spirit, you would speak to every one of us. We worship you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We need you. Speak, we pray, in the name of Jesus, our Savior and friend. Amen. Good morning, saints. Good morning. I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters at the Village Church in Huntsville, Alabama. Roll Tide, if you are an Alabama fan. If you have your Bible, please open it to Colossians chapter 3. We will be looking at verses 5 through 17. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 17. Here's the word of the Lord. To death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these things you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, dirty talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put then on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, Bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, demolishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Whatever you do, word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with, please pray with and for me. Father God, I pray for your spirit to move. Because if he doesn't move, nothing changes in our life. Nothing changes in our hearts. Nothing changes in our world. People are not saved from their sins. 
third person of the Trinity is very important in this life, in the life of your people. Lord, we need him. And you know the places in which we truly live. You know the broken places of our life and in our hearts. And we need you to give us a word, a word of encouragement, a word to, to remind us that, that, that you are with us still. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you will glorify Christ during this time and that you will edify his people. It is in Christ's name that I pray. As days go by, we are going to fill this house with happiness. The moon may cry, we're, we're going to smother the blues with tenderness. When days go by, there's room for you, there's room for me. A gentle heart and opportunity. As days go by, it's the bigger love for the family. Are you familiar with those lyrics? It's from... Uh, one of my favorite childhood shows growing up. As days go by, it's the bigger love of the family. It's family matters. I love that show because I could identify with Steve Urkel. I could identify with him. And, and that name communicates a value. Family does matter. Not just in TV, not just on a show. But family matters in real life, in reality. And it matters to all of us on various levels. It even matters to God. Family even matters to God in his household, in his kingdom. And family should matter to his people. But does it? Does family matter to you? Can you say with with a believing heart that, that as the days go by, we're going to fill our house with happiness? The moon may cry, we're going to smother the the blues with tenderness. When days go by, there's room for you, there's room for me. For gentle hearts and opportunity, as days go by, it's the bigger love of God's diverse family. Can you say that and believe it? Today we're going to talk about this family. And in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 17, the Apostle Paul shows us what would take place in this family when family matters to God's people. They would actually do life together. They would do life together. And believe. And the only way we believers can do life together is through their union with Christ. This is very important. Union with Christ is the only reason why we can do life together because it changes the way we relate to one another. Just like it changes the way you relate to yourself, and just like it changes the way God relates to you. Do you know why God relates to you differently? It ain't because you're good. It's not because you're Midwesterners. It's because of Christ in you. You're no longer under his wrath because of Christ in you. You're no longer his enemies because of Christ in you. The only reason God sees you differently is because of the blood of the Lamb. You take Jesus out of the equation, equation, guess what? You are enemy. Again. He sees you anew because of Christ. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.10, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All because of Christ. All because of your union with Christ. This is why the way God sees you. All believers have, been spiritual, have spiritually died with Jesus. 
All believers have been spiritually resurrected with Jesus. All believers have eternal security with Jesus. All believers have a future transformation awaiting them with Jesus. All, that's what you get for being in unified with him. That's who you are. And in him, God's adopted sons and daughters. But do you believe it? You are adopted God's son. You are his adopted people. Members of his family. Part of his church. Citizens in his kingdom. You're his chosen ones. His beloved. His treasured possession. What do you think God sees when he sees you? Have you ever asked yourself that question? My son. My daughter. My people. Yeah, they're messed up, but they're mine. My beloved. My treasured possession. In Christ, you have a new self. You have a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Is that the way you see yourself? Is that the way you relate to yourself? Christ has delivered you from your old self and its ways. Do you believe that? He has, deli- he has delivered you from the kingdom of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his son. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? These are some amen statements, okay? <laughs> I actually have an amen sign that I use at my church, and I didn't bring it today. Okay? These are amen statements here. And so that means you don't have to live in the old self and in its old ways. And say, what is the old self? Paul says it here in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, passions, covetedness, um, anger, wrath, malice, slander, dirty talk, and lying. All those are things that come from the old self. And you don't have to live in those things. Those are dead man's clothes. And you can take them off. But do you believe it? You don't have to wear them. You don't have to lie to one another. You don't have to live in anger and wrath and slander and dirty talk or sexual immorality, impurity, self-centered passion covetedness, and evil desires. You don't have to live in these things. You know what else these things include? Discrimination, injustice, racism, indifference, all part of the old self. Ethnic supremacy, old self, whether white, black, or brown. Charlottesville is here. Nationality supremacy is here. Class supremacy is here. Gender supremacy is here. Charlottesville is here. The old self manifests itself in all sorts of evil ways. It can be individual, it can be corporate, it can be systemic. But it does manifest itself. Again, do you believe it? Remember Paul says, these things are in you. Not talking to pagans. Not talking to the government. He's talking to believers. Put to death what is earthly in you. These things are in you, he says. You have been set free from all those things 
because of what Jesus did for you on that tree. He has set you free from those things. And you don't have to live in them with an unrepentant heart. You can repent. You can repent. Do you repent? Don't use the freedom that Christ has given you to enslave yourself to the very things he delivered you from. Don't use it. Again, that's an amen statement. Do not use your freedom that Christ has given you to enslave yourself to the very things he delivered you from. Christ delivered you from the old self. You are new in him. You have a new identity in him. You have a new self in him. You are God's chosen people. His chosen ones. His beloved. His treasured possession. Do you believe it? Because if you don't believe it, then it makes no difference. I can yell, I can scream, I can run around the pulpit, but if you don't believe it, it means nothing for your life. It does nothing for your life. But do you believe it for yourself? Every believer in the world has been created new in Jesus, a new self and a new identity. And we must function and operate in this new self. We must work in this new self. We must play in this new self. We must fight for justice in this new self. We must advocate in this new self. We must function within the family in this new self. We do life together in the new self. That's how we do life together, in the new self. We relate to each other in the new self. Because union with Christ changes the way believers relate to one another. If we can't get along with ourselves, how are you going to get along with unbelievers? Man, honestly, if you cannot get along with other believers who believe in Jesus and are covered in the blood of the Lamb, how are you going to get along with people who don't have that? If the blood of Christ can't make you get along with other people who are in the church, I don't understand it either. New self, it helps us relate to one another as equals. It helps us relate to one another as equals. And we do life in the family as equals. That's the first thing. We do life in the family as equals. And that, and that means that your new self, who you are in Christ, it should, it should lead you to see that the new self and the new identity of other believers is not less than yours. Y'all are all equal in Christ. Verse 11. Paul says, here, that's there for a reason, here in this new self, there is no Greek, Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. So that means the new self of believer A is not superior to the new self of believer B. The new, the new identity of believer A isn't less than the new identity of believer B. We're all equal in Jesus. So there is no discrimination in this family, or it shouldn't be. No haves or have-nots. No favoritism, no us versus them, no caste system, no outcast, no superiority. Jesus is the only one who can say he's better than you, and it's true. And he won't be telling a lie. You can get mad about it and feel sad about it, but it's still true. 
He's the only one that can say that. He's the only one that can make any claim of superiority and supremacy. And it's true. No descendant of Adam can make such claims. No descendant of Adam is better than the next. In Adam, we were equal, and in Christ, we're also equal. Because only in Christ can we actually do life together. Only in Christ am I able to see you as my, be your brother's keeper and your sister's keeper. Only in Christ can we do that. We do life together as equals, equal in value, equal in self-worth, equal in dignity. Can you do life with one another that way? Can you? If you're living in the new self, you will. If you're living in the old self, you will not. You will not. Secondly, the new self, it helps us relate to our differences in a different way. Because the family is diverse. It's diverse. You know, you have brothers and sisters that don't look like you. They don't think like you. They don't vote like you. Okay? You do. You're not the only people of God. Okay? You shouldn't get to heaven and be surprised that you see brown people. Or white people. I didn't know you were going to be here. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. You see, in Christ, we, we don't lose our ethnic and cultural identity. I've been a believer since 96, and I have not stopped being a black man. Okay? I'm still African-American. That has not gone away. Grace has not taken that away. The gospel has not taken that away. In Christ, our ethnic and cultural identities are put in their proper place, and that is beneath Jesus. Beneath Jesus to be redeemed by Jesus. Beneath him to be redeemed by him. In Christ, our differences are no longer grounds for separation and division and false claims of superiority. In him, they become a reflection of the beautiful diversity of God's family. That's what it becomes. We do life together by acknowledging, embracing, and celebrating that diversity. Not looking down on it. Not saying it's just a liberal agenda. No, it's God's agenda. His agenda, that his people be diverse. It's part of creation. Part of creation. In Christ, people who wouldn't have anything to do with each other are now family. You need to think about that. People who otherwise wouldn't have anything to do with each other are now family. Um... I went to college at Valdosta State University in South Georgia. And my mentor, he uh, and a good friend attended Covenant Seminary. And we took a trip here when I was in college because I was thinking about going uh, to Covenant until I went to the Wright Theological Seminary in Charlotte. I'm sorry, RTS, I'm sorry. And, and so on the way up to, on this trip, they were listening to Johnny Cash. You know, I've never heard of Johnny Cash before. I have no idea who this man was. And I told them, I said, man, if it wasn't for Jesus, we would not be friends. <laughs> if it wasn't for Jesus, we would not be hanging out. And it's true. Because in Christ, he brings together people who otherwise would not hang out together. You've got to know that. You've got to know that. 
In Christ, people who are different from each other are now brothers and sisters in the Lord. And you must put on the new self in order to relate to one another that way. You cannot live like this out of the old self. Because the old self always divides. Because the old self destroys families. The old self does not build up. The old self is about self-preservation. It's self-seeking. It's self-centered. It doesn't consider others. It'll turn a blind eye to evil. And it will use and it will abuse. That's what the old self does. It would not do this. But the new self, when you're living in the new self, you can deny self on behalf of others. You would deny self to preserve unity. You see, the new self for every believer is being renewed after the image of its creator. And it's not being renewed after the image of your culture. Another amen statement. The new self is not being renewed after the image of your culture, your heritage, your race, your politics, your nationality, your social class, your gender. It's not being renewed after that. It's being renewed after Jesus. And so that means your entitlements, your power, and your privilege must get to the back of the bus. Take a seat, sit down, and get to the back of the bus. Because it's only being renewed after the image of Christ. Jesus. Him. It's all about him. So that means the new self is becoming more and more like Jesus. Not more and more American. In American culture, more and more like Christ. To think like Jesus. To believe like Jesus to value what Jesus values, to love what Jesus loves, to love who he loves, to love how he loves, to live like he lived, and to fight like he fought. Everything about you is wrapped up in who Christ is for you. And if you do not believe that, then you're not living in the new self. If you think it's Jesus plus something, then you're not living in anything in, in the new self. You're still living in the old self. Because the new self knows that everything about me is wrapped up in Jesus. Everything. And that's true for every single believer in the world. And we, have all, we all have the same equal status before God. And we must embrace it. If family matters to you, you will relate to one another as equals. If family matters to you, you will relate to our differences as a God-given diversity that is beautiful. If it matters to you. Does it matter to you? And if family matters to you, you won't break fellowship when conflict comes. Because it's going to come. All families have issues and conflicts. I do this with a game at my church with my members. I, I say, all God's people have issues. Then I, then I ask you the question, who has issues? You say, I have issues. So we're going to do that game. All God's people have issues. Who has issues? And if you forget that, then that's an issue. <laughs> and if you forget it, that's an issue. Every family has a way of dealing with conflict. Think back to your childhood or even your family now. How do y'all deal with family conflict? How do you resolve issues? How do you deal with, with it when you sin against one another? Is there denial? Is there shaming? Is there anger? Is there envy? Is there slander? How do you deal with it? Every family has these things. And sometimes when we deal with it, it can be painful. 
it, it can be hurtful, but conflict is unavoidable in family. If you're doing life with your family, you're going to have conflict eventually. But how do you deal with it? And the same is true in God's family. Oh, yeah, we're covered in the blood of the Lamb, but we are some still some messed up people. We still have issues. So there's going to be conflict. It will be painful. It will be hurtful. Why do we still have conflict? Because the old self, in its ways, we still struggle with it. The old self is like a residue that still covers our heart. And we will struggle with the old self all the days of our life. You will struggle with it. You will struggle with lying to one another. You will. But do you believe that? You will struggle with anger, wrath, and malice, and obscene talk, sexual immorality, impurity, self-centered passions, evil desires, and covetedness. You will struggle with these things. Some of you will even struggle with discrimination, injustice, racism, self-righteousness, indifference, supremacy. I know what you're saying. Not me, Pastor. I don't struggle with those things. Don't forget what Paul says in verse 5. Put to death what is earthly in you. Put to death what is earthly in you. He's talking about you, the church. What has Charlottesville revealed about your heart? What has it revealed? What has the past election season revealed about your heart? What has all the things that you see in our country, the tensions that you see here and globally, what have they revealed about your heart? Who are you in conflict with because you disagree about certain things? Who have you slandered on social media? Are you just simply indifferent? Or do you think you have progressively outgrown those sin struggles? Please listen, beloved. People don't progress out of sin. They have to be redeemed out of it. Don't let what you see in American culture think you we're less fallen. That we're, we're somehow less sinful than other places around the world. Progress just makes sin look differently, but it's still there. All you got to do is dig. Keep digging. Dig through the systems. Dig through the success. Dig, dig through the money. And then you get to the bottom of it. Oh, that sin's still here. It just dresses differently. Drive fancy cars, have a nice suit. It's still there. But do you believe it? My, one of my favorite theologians, T. Austin Spark, says, I am as capable of the worst as any being in God's creation. For anyone to take the attitude that they are not capable of the worst is an attitude of deepest deception. We do not know the power in our beings until we are put to it. If you have never committed the worst, it is because you have never been put to it in the mercy of God. But it's all there. The Lord put his finger upon it in principle when he says, he that hates his brother is a murderer. It is the same spirit. You have to only extend that, provoke that anger enough, Put that nature into certain circumstances and you will discover that you are capable of the things of which you once stood in utmost horror at one time. It's easy to say what you won't do when you're not in it. 
It's easy to say what you won't do when your family ain't been threatened. It's easy to say what you won't do when your bubble hasn't been burst But if you are in operating in the new self, then you understand that you are also capable of doing some of the worst things you judge other people for. That's an amen statement too, but I don't get no amens for that, I guess. You are capable. You are capable. But in Christ, through his spirit, you also are capable of walking in newness of life. Newness of life. And newness of life also means you have to have a realistic view of who you are and your struggles. And realizing I'm not too far from that. If it's not for the mercy of God, I would be that. I would be that. I see it in myself. Do you see it in yourself? You're not as good as you think. You're not as righteous as we think. You don't have to live in it. You will struggle, though. But you don't have to live in it. And you can deal with conflict in the new self. In the new self. And the new self has new clothes to wear. New outfits that Jesus has given us. New virtues, new qualities that, that, that we can wear. And these clothes won't ever fade, they won't be torn, they won't ever get worn out. You can't ever outgrow them. And the Apostle Paul shows us what these new clothes are in verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And that's who you are. That's your being. He, he tells you that before he gets to the doing. This is who you are. Chosen, holy and beloved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Those are the clothes that we wear as we do life as family. Do you wear them? Do you wear compassion? Or do you wear a callous heart? Or you disregard others? You're insensitive. Because if you have compassion, compassion is a heartfelt concern for people. Do you care about people? That's it. Do you care about people? Do you care? Do do you care what they go through? Do you you extend mercy to them in real and practical ways? Sometimes that means just mentor somebody. Other times it means you stand with people and protest for, for injustice and evil. It means you can be an advocate for someone. I mean, sometimes it can mean just be a shoulder that someone can cry on. Do you do your heart break when you see people in brokenness? That's what compassion is. You want Christ has compassion on you. He wants us to have compassion on others. Second, he said we are to wear kindness. Kindness as opposed to indifference and animosity. And kindness means you're generous. Helpful to those in need. Mindful of the ways that you treat others. When you, when you, how do you treat those you disagree with? Are you kind to them? Are you generous to them? Or you just have animosity or indifference? Kindness. Humility. As opposed to pride. Humility is thinking about yourself less. You're not the sinner. We're not that important. Meekness. Are you gentle with others in spirit? Or do you mean, and that means you don't have to force your way. 
sometimes you don't have to be the center of the discussion. You don't have to take over the conversation. Are you, do you have meekness? Are you submissive to other people? Patience. That's a good one. Are you patient with others? Are you steadfast as you deal with other people? Don't give up on people. If, you, if you're wearing patience, you're willing to stick with people who don't quite get all social things. They don't quite get the social injustices. Don't understand all the ins and outs of it. You're patient with them to walk with them. Do you wear these clothes as you deal with conflict with one another? In your family, in your church family. And we have to. And when you're wearing these clothes, two things are going to come out. That's forbearance and forgiveness. Forbearance and forgiveness. These, those two things have to take place within God's diverse family. Can you bear with one another? And can you forgive one another? Because all family members have issues, man. We do. I got issues. You have issues. And at some point, they're going to come at, come at the head and we're going to sin against one another. And sometimes that sin, that sin can be hurtful and painful. Gossip, slander, anger, all those things will happen within the family. And when it happens, what are we going to do? Paul says, bear with one another. Forgive one another. Can you bear with a brother or sister who doesn't understand certain things? Can you bear with a brother or sister in their struggles? Can you bear with them? Can you walk with them? Or are you going to turn your back on them? Remember, does Jesus turn his back on you when you don't get it, when you're not living right, when you're not believing right? No, he doesn't turn his back on you. Bearing with one another in God's diverse family means we walk with one another with a spirit of mutual brokenness. You walk with me, I walk with you with a spirit of mutual brokenness because we're all broken. We all have broken places. And that's how we walk with one another. We do life that way, by bearing with one another, not shaming each other on Facebook and and social media, media, but walking with one another with a spirit of mutual brokenness. Next, there's forgiveness. We strive to forgive one another because we have been forgiven by God. And forgiveness isn't easy. It is not easy. Forgiveness is hard. And some sins are, are, more for, are easier to forgive than others. And you don't have to over-spiritualize this. Some sins are more heinous than others. Injustice is harder to forgive than slander. Okay? It's harder to forgive. It, takes, it may take months and weeks and years to forgive things. Listen, the example I give my people is this. It's not like Joseph saw his brothers the next day. Okay? Joseph is always the perfect example of forgiveness. It ain't like he saw them the next day. There's years past. If they would have came to Egypt and said, hey, Joseph, he would have been mad. Mad and rightfully so. Years passed before he saw them again. God worked in his heart and he was able to forgive. You got to give people space to work through that stuff. And to me, forgiveness is more of a journey towards forgiveness. 
and for us, and for different people are in different places in that journey, but we strive to get there in Christ. Forgiveness doesn't magically mean you forget. It just means that when you remember, you don't seek revenge. It doesn't magically mean you just forget. It changes the way you respond when you remember. You respond with mercy and not judgment. That's operating new self. That's operating out of your new identity. You say, All right, well, that's not fair, Pastor. I know, or maybe it's not fair, but that's what God has called us to as his beloved. That's what, that's what grace does to us if it's really changing you. You're living out of the new self. Many kids um, like arts and crafts, and it gives them a chance to be creative and, and display their giftedness. And any arts and craft project, you've got to have certain tools if you're going to do arts and crafts. You've got to have scissors, you've got to have construction paper, you've got to have paints, and you've got to have markers, and, and, and you've got to have glue. Because I love glue, because glue, it, you can stick things together with glue. And with glue, you can, you can put things back together that, that's been broken. And when it comes to these new clothes and these new um, qualities that we have in the new self, there's a glue that holds them all together. There's a glue that holds compassion, kindness, humility, and meekness, and patience together. And that glue is love. Love. Look at verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. At the end of the day, do you simply love people? At the end of the day, do you love? If you're operating in the new self, if you're living out the new self, and you're going to love people in word and deed. You're going to love your enemies. You're going to love those who are different than you within the body. And if you're not loving people, then you're still operating out of the old self. Still operating out of the old self. Love covers a multitude of sins. How long I got, brother? I see people coming in. Okay. <laughs> First Peter 5.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Love covers a multitude of sins. And Jesus told his disciples, this is the commandment I give you. Love one another. By this, people would know that you are my disciples. Do you live that way? My mother-in-law has a cousin that lives in South Georgia. And her, her late husband had this couple friend that used to come over and visit a lot. And my, and my mother-in-law's cousin, she, didn't stay, she couldn't stand this couple. When they come over, she would go into her room. She was rude to him all the time. But when, but when her husband died, the couple still came over and visited her. They still came over and, took, and checked in on her. And now they're the best of friends. At one point, she couldn't stand them. Then my mother-in-law said, what happened? This is what she told my mother-in-law. Love wore me down. That's amen. Come on. Love wore me down. Thank you. Can you wear one another down with love? Can you? Finally, we do life together by keeping Jesus at the center. Now, speed through this for the sake of time. I don't want to go too much longer. Jesus has to be at the center of this family. And if he's at the center of this family, two things would take place. First, 
we will submit to the peace of Christ. We will submit to the peace of Christ. And that's in verse 15. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called into one body. And so what is this peace of Christ? First, the peace of Christ means you have peace with God. You have peace with God. You have been justified by Christ. That's why you are at peace with God, reconciled to him. That's what the peace of Christ is. That's the first thing, that you are at peace with God. But do you believe that? Secondly, it means you have peace with yourself. Have you ever thought about that? Peace with yourself. And what does that mean? It means I don't have to find my identity in other things because my identity is in Christ. I have to live my life trying to find peace and and happiness and security and significance in other places because I have it all in Christ. That's what it means to have peace with yourself. And you can have rest and you can have comfort and you can have contentment and security all because of who you are in Jesus. That's the peace of Christ ruling in your life. And thirdly, you have peace with other believers. Peace within the family. That you live a life desiring reconciliation when fellowship is threatened and fellowship is broken. That means you live to be a peacemaker. A peacemaker within this body, within this world, within the family. A peacemaker. Secondly, you submit to the word of Christ. And that becomes the center of our family. This word of Christ becomes the the way in which we do everything that we do, the decisions that we make is all centered upon the scriptures. And we can't treat God's word like a golden corral buffet. You can't go to the buffet line saying, I'm going to have two servants of grace. I have five servants of the spiritual mission of the church. Uh, I take some of that mercy, uh, take some of that, and then you bypass other items on the buffet line as if they do not exist. Some of you need to eat some justice. Some of you need to eat some Christian ethics because that's on the buffet line too. We take the whole counsel of God, not just the ones that benefits you, even the ones that convict you and the ones you really don't want to hear. That's what it means to submit to the word of Christ. For the word of God is active and living, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So that means if you don't want that word to do that, then do not go to the Golden Corral Buffet. Don't open the word if you don't want it to wound you at some point. Just set it on the shelf and let it collect dust. 2 Timothy 3, all scriptures God breathed out from the mouth of God, profitable for what? Teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, for the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So when you are, the word of Christ is in you, then you're going to use that word to disciple one another, to, to call out one another in loving ways. And that's what Paul says here in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing hymns and and, and songs and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. So that means at times you take this word to one another to encourage one another. You take it to challenge one another, to build one another up, to disciple one another. You do it all in the spirit of love. Christ must be at the center. If you have your bulletin, 
you worship God, I want you to look at this logo here. This is the logo for my church. And that's by intent. Notice the different colored broken pieces here in this mosaic. The broken pieces represents you. It represents the family. And notice what's in the center of all those broken pieces. Notice what's in the center. What's in the center? The cross. And that means the center ain't ever going to be tradition. Ain't ever going to be your heritage. Ain't ever going to be your last name. Ain't ever going to be a flag. Ain't ever going to be your status. Ain't ever going to be your culture and your politics and your causes and your gender and your ethnicity. None of those things can ever be at the center of this family. Ain't ever going to be a white European white Jesus at the center. Not even a Jesus of our own imagination. It's going to be a Middle Eastern Jewish Jesus at the center of that family. A Jesus who is both son of God. God, both God and man, a crucified, resurrected Jesus at the center. Jesus who is both Lord and Savior. That's who's at the center of it. It's Jesus that Paul says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. That's who's at the center. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the church, the body. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in, in everything, he might be preeminent. That's who's at the center. And he will remain at the center. Because he's at the center, we can do life together. And when you take the cross out of this family, we're going to fall apart. You know, when you look at Charlottesville and what happens there and what is happening, it's our fault because that's not a reality in the church. But we want it to be the reality in the world. And it's not even a reality here. Jesus has to really be the functional and actual center of this family. Not just something we say, it has to be true. And when it's true, we will do life together. We'll do life together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are forever sustaining your bride. You are forever in her midst. Even right now, you make intercession for us. And as we come to this table, I pray that you would use this meal to bring nourishment to your diverse family. Yeah, we got issues, but Lord, we are loved. We are your saints. We are your bride. We are your treasure possession. And I pray now that you will help us to believe who we are in Christ and that would change the way we do life for other believers. In Christ's name I pray.